0: Uh, hello, it is Tuesday, uh, June 2nd. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm the co-host of the Morning Brushback. Bobby Stevens is joining me remotely from Chicago. Bob, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good. Crazy, crazy world we live in right now.
0: Yeah, you and I are both in two of the most heavily rioting cities, it seems like.
1: Yeah, Chicago's Chicago is getting quite uh, quite bad. The police are stretched very thin. It's Definitely, so, police so let's, scanners let's, going let's, crazy.
0: Let's let's start there. You do like to follow the police scanner. Um, you were out. Well, you are out last night, the previous night. What what have you seen and what's been going on?
1: Uh, so I was driving around last night in the neighborhood. Just, I mean, what am I going to do? One person, but at least there's some kind of presence. People. You know, taking interest in what's happening, and that was happening everywhere. So kind of we live pretty—we live pretty close to a uh, a busy intersection. You know, that intersection got hit. I don't want to say heavily, but there were broken windows, some looting, um, and all these businesses had. You know, neighborhood people standing outside, kind of, not camping out, but just hanging outside. Cars parked in front of the windows. Definitely, definitely more of a neighborhood presence last night um, than the previous night. Felt like there weren't as many police officers in the neighborhood. Uh, rightfully so. I know there. You know, according to the scanner that was going crazy, um, we had people all over the city, peaceful protest, rioting. So it was it was nice to see people in the neighborhood. You know, taking an interest in each other. It was felt felt safe driving around, but at the same time, you could definitely you can definitely tell everybody was on high alert. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm very red right now. Cause I just went for a run and I timed it way too close to our podcast, but I got back. I walked in my door at eight 45 after 40 minutes, which is a little longer than normal for me. So I'm like, if you're wondering why Dan's beat red it's because of that. Uh, but I wanted to go survey the city a little bit. I live, uh, I guess as the crow flies, maybe a mile and a half from the white house slash Lafayette square maybe yeah that's about right probably so there's not like much ending where I was but there was I guess some protests started up here Um, I wasn't a part of them but it's uh, this city is very boarded up I mean especially as you get closer to the White House it's very very boarded up there's people out there now just like cutting wood and and getting prepared so anyone that wasn't um, and obviously like all the high shopping or the expensive shopping sort of not district, but there's a, a main center chunk um, I guess a half a mile from from the White House uh, on the Chinatown side that has Gucci like if you saw you know on the, the Twitter sphere the other day like the Gucci store them trying to break into it and all that stuff the looters. Yeah. Um, so that, that whole block has been boarded up since two days ago I was down there the other day. So Any place that's been hit or is, you know, in the realm is getting boarded up pretty fast. And it's just a crazy sight to see. Um, you know, I watched the Twitter, the Twitter stream from my home last night and I don't, I don't know. It's, it's strange because I think during the day, the protests are definitely peaceful, which is good. Um, and then as soon as like nightfall hits, the police definitely seem to be the aggressors last night, just before Trump got his, uh, his wonderful little photo in front of the church, which seems which seems like that's what pretty much started all off. I guess the cops had to like shove everyone back, and were pretty aggressive about it, so that he could walk out of the White House and get his photo opportunity. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about? It? Do you see that story?
1: Yeah, I saw the that they gassed. Are they the rubber bullets and the? I mean, let's backtrack. Right. So the the incident in Minneapolis. I think we're all on the same page. Should well, never Well, I'm not, well, no, not I mean, going to get in a political thing about, I mean, no, 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 yeah. no I just, Go I was on. just Go like, on. we should, we should address it. Right. So that, you know, what happened in Minneapolis should have never happened. I think we're all in agreement on that. I think it's, you know, justice to be served would be the police officer with his knee on, on, uh, the man's neck and the three police officers that we're observing. Like nobody took an initiative hearing this guy scream. If you've seen the video, it's a terrible video. Yeah. I think we're all in agreement on that. You know, I have I have yet to see somebody come out on the opposite side and defend this police officer, which rightfully so. Like this guy doesn't need to be defended at all. Um. Now, fast forward to currently what's happening. You know, for I thought what Trump said yesterday was I thought he had a good speech. I mean, the photo op. What happened with the people? Not, obviously the optics are not good, right? Like if it's if it was specifically for the photo op. I just, I think he waited way too long to say, to reference the rioting. So two days ago when everything kind of started to happen, 10, 11 o'clock at night, at least Chicago time, he's not, you know, the white house went black, went dark. Um, if you saw that picture, mm-hmm. that was not, in my opinion, that's not the right, that's not what should have happened. Like he needed to have an emergent, I don't know, emerge whatever they do, emergency press conference from inside the white house somewhere late at night calling for, you know, peaceful protests, um, whatever. So I don't agree with, I liked what he had to say yesterday. I thought what he had to say yesterday projected as like a strong unified um, message. Like we're, we're for peaceful protests, but this rioting has to, has to stop. Um, But I don't know if it's necessarily my place or anybody else's place to tell someone uh, you know african-american how to feel about it or how to go about it. i feel like peaceful protest has been happening and if you're if you're someone who's and i talked to one guy on twitter i don't know if you saw me get into it with a guy on twitter um who's actually a good friend a upset he's like you're not you don't speak out uh against this stuff before don't talk about it now it's like all right i you, you can't really tell somebody how to feel so if like if rioting is what they're is what they feel like they need to do, or if that's how their point is going to get pushed. Okay. Like I I understand. I I'm s- stepping back and not being personally involved. Like, I don't know how it is to be systematically you know prejudiced against as a white person in the US. But just from the timeline of everything that's happened, it's starting to get out of control, it feels like. And you're seeing it in DC, and I'm seeing it in Chicago. And my big question is what if you're if you feel like you're being you know prejudiced against as uh living in the US as an African American, like what do you want to see done? Or I don't hear any like solutions and not that there is a perfect solution or one catch-all, but the obviously like the rioting and then the the, the vandalism is more of a divide. It's gonna cause more of a divide between people who maybe you know, had their businesses destroyed and people that want justice for George Floyd in Minnesota and police officers and politicians. So it's just, everybody's getting more and more pushed apart by what's happening in the last, you know, 48 to 72 hours. So that's, as a timeline goes, I think within the last week, we've seen everybody was in agreement with what happened in Minnesota was totally wrong. And then we're getting to this point now where it's almost being pushed further apart division wise, because there are a group of people that have decided to take advantage of this situation for personal gain, looting and going out and destroying property for no reason other than they're, they're allowed to because the police have to stand down because they're outnumbered. So.
0: Yeah, I don't, i um, I'm, I'm staying out of it on Twitter. Obviously, uh, is a terrible thing that happened uh, to Mr. Floyd, and that stuff is still happening to to black people in America. And that's what's really—it's pathetic that that's still happening today, and that the the police forces all over just don't seem to get it, and they don't seem to be accountable. That's that's the core issue. And this officer, and like you said, the three officers who stood by or have not been accountable, even though he's in custody, third like third degree murder charge. I was listening a little bit about what that is. And it's such a strange charge. Like it needs to be as it needs to be severe. Um, That being said, it's I think the core problem at the moment with the, with the way things are escalating, because they just seem to continue getting worse is that once nightfall hits, that's when all the trouble starts. And I think at, at this point, all the peaceful protesters they do need to go home before nightfall if they do that then the police can handle the people who are just out there to vandalize and hurt people and cause trouble um because there's a lot of most of, i mean the vast majority are still peaceful but when the cops who have been aggressive at times um and you know that's not making anything better because they're the core the core reason. Again, it's not all police officers, but just as a culture, it's still this is still the the issue. This is why people are you know righteously upset. Um, but when it gets to nightfall, if everyone's still out on the streets, then just like the vandalism and the and the rioting can't be addressed, and then that's just that's just the problem. So I think people um i don't know just looking at like how do we get this over with is let people be heard and i think there needs to be a more empathetic compassionate message from leadership and and probably from the police like you've seen a lot of different places like flint michigan other places where the police are, are marching with the protesters and that's seems to be like the right thing like everyone sort of understands that this is a problem and um it's not us versus them and them versus us, which is, I think, the way a lot of people are feeling. And Trump is only furthering that divide by saying, like, hey, I mean, he just doesn't have the capacity for empathy. He just doesn't. I mean, he, he, yeah, that's he just not who he is. He, he doesn't. A, he doesn't have the capacity.
1: He didn't have a good. It, I thought yesterday what he said yesterday was was. Quote, unquote, very presidential. I don't yeah, think so someone
0: truth- wrote it for him and he read it. Which is fine
1: because that's how that's how all these speeches work, right? With presidents, the tweets, the tweets jump around because it's it's not. He's like obviously not just a tweeting about what's going on. He's tweeting about um, Joe Scarborough. He's he's tweeting about yeah, which um, is
0: nonsense. Like, why is that still happening? Like, why is that still allowed? Like, he's like, what is he doing? Well, it's I don't want to get down that. That's ridiculous, though. that's
1: still happening. I want to get I want to get down a little bit, and I just want to propose i'm just going to propose questions just we don't have to answer them i just want to talk out loud a little bit just to kind of weed through some things that are happening so if you're peaceful protesting i my question would be what what is the outcome that you want to see like I, we all know the outcome you want to see is this doesn't need this shouldn't happen anymore what happened in minneapolis shouldn't happen anymore like that is the ideal outcome but as far as like a policy or a, if you were to have leadership in a room, w- I guess, what are the steps and what, what can you do to assure that it doesn't happen? Cause that part is unclear to me. Um, and well, I, I don't think don't know. I,
0: I think this is sort of like the way wildfires sort of like reset the forest to like sort of they they you know what i mean and so i think this response isn't i think this response is going to be helpful because even though it's you know there's a lot of people vandalizing and doing harmful things i think overall such a strong reaction forces everyone to be like we need to fix something like we need like this can't happen this can't this can't keep happening we can't keep like and i think this is how this works and i think that's Like, can you imagine being a a police chief somewhere now no i can't exactly and that's why this that's why this is this is you know again like no one's like looting and all that stuff is not what you want to see happening but when the reaction is that strong imagine if you're a police chief like you've got to like listen guys listen guys and gals like we've got to be better like we this can't keep happening this cannot happen again and And that's not the right reason for it to happen the right reason for it to happen is this shouldn't happen again because it's morally reprehensible but still, like stuff like this, it does like cause change.
1: So, but then you're, I agree with you. So now it becomes okay. Like you're asking police officers, who I believe the majority of them are good. I have, I, a lot of friends that are police officers. I deal with them probably on a daily basis, just from people that I know and see uh, through work I out that I do myself. So that yeah. I would be very hesitant as a police officer if I'm already in the profession now. So you almost have to second guess your first instinct to go help somebody if you are even if you're one of the good guys now because if you're in a neighborhood that okay, like I'm a white police officer and I and I get a phone call in a in a predominantly black neighborhood, like my first instinct is I don't want to be on the news even if I'm even if I'm feel like I'm doing something right by breaking up whatever it is I'm called there to do. I think you're put to put that doubt into the police officer's mind could be is potentially dangerous for them which I see as a domino effect of making if it's so if it's well, dangerous for them to to feel like they can't respond without thinking twice if if they I don't if they're, I don't com- want to
0: go to I don't want to go down this 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 like thought experiment of of being in a police officer's head neither of us are police officers like I just don't think that's a productive place for us to go at this moment i mean at the end of the day most most people aren't gonna the vast majority of police officers are not gonna put their knee on someone's neck and like like that's not protocol like this guy just is is an awful human being so i mean i get that the psyche of being a police officer is difficult in general um but like racial profiling is still quite prevalent and it just needs to be fixed I mean, I think that's just like, as far as you and I need to go with it.
1: Yeah. And I just, that's, that's like the question I want to throw out there is hot is what is the fixing? Like, what is the solution? What is the, the change that needs to be made? I don't know what it is. I don't, I honestly don't know. Well, what is,
0: when so. this is all said and done, I think a lot of legislators and, and other people and community leaders will, will come to tables and, and figure out what that looks like. And I don't know how, I don't know how that process works, but Obviously, this will come to an end at some point, but for now, it just seems like at nightfall, people need to be in their homes so police can get the people who just want to riot and cause trouble and get them out of there because that's that's the core issue. The core issue isn't it's not most people who are just out there demonstrating and being heard so that they can, you know, speak up for those who have been marginalized for so long, which is still happening.
1: Yeah, there was a big peaceful protest in the neighborhood, in my neighborhood last night, walking down a prominent, busy street, being being directed by police and essentially being directed away from where all where all these scanner calls were going. So they're not telling them to go home They're which is fine. Like, it's the right, the peaceful protest. They're just directing them into a safer area. Like, OK, this would be the wrong way to go. They kind of had it barricaded off. Um, but I agree it's like does it make sense if you're a peaceful protester to try and organize and get home before nightfall, like do it in the morning? you know, but at the same time, is your point gonna get across if you're not in the streets you know at from nine to midnight or whatever? I don't know I don't know what I don't, I don't, know. don't know,
0: but at some point it's gotta it's gotta start becoming less less than it is at the moment, and it's just it's just getting it's getting worse. And people are going to start getting hurt because because someone at some point is going to start shooting real bullets, whether it's one of these like anarchists who are floating around, or, and then it's going to get really messy, and that's what's scary, and that stuff is happening after nightfall. You know? When
1: you're yeah, and then I mean in sh- just in Chicago alone, so there's the there's a Walmart on the south side, so and the south side in the predominantly black neighborhood, there's a Walmart that was looted, destroyed, and. There was a, I saw a woman um, interviewed on the news and also my wife is friends with uh, one of her coworkers who lives down that area. And the word coming from the Walmart is that they're not gonna reopen now. They're just, they're not gonna, they're not gonna reopen the business down there. They're gonna move the business somewhere else. That is what's coming out from this Walmart. And that's now that's having a, you know, for for a community that businesses aren't necessarily flocking to open to, and you've got a prominent corporation there that that provides a lot of services in the neighborhood, you know, Walmart's got everything, eye doctor, ear, you know, eye doctor, groceries, essentials. They're not going to reopen in that neighborhood now. Now what's that going to do to that neighborhood? So like the looting and the rioting is, is counterproductive in that sense where you're going to the neighborhoods of the people that have been prejudiced against for, hundreds of years and you're destroying businesses there and now these and it's just going to make it it's going to set that neighborhood back and it's going to make it harder for that neighborhood to to climb back out of uh of everything that's going on and and prospering so that's just just one example right right Rioting is not good for anybody for sure just one example in chicago that's like that's going to be a shitty outcome after all this is said and done that a na- that neighborhood is going to end up having less business and less, you know, less attractiveness to to anyone that might be moving in there or might want to stay there.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's rough. And obviously like a, a man got shot and killed, like a, a well-respected, um, he owned a, a business in Louisville, got shot and killed because they said someone started shooting and then police started shooting and then he was left dead. And apparently they don't think that anyone actually started shooting. That was just the police. So there's just a lot of terrible stuff happening at the moment. And that's sort of like the way things are. It's um it's what a what a crazy time we live in these days. Coronavirus is still out there, which that's another implication I'm for all the all the mass gatherings, unfortunately. So we hope that doesn't rear its head and like cases resurge. But a lot of people are wearing masks too, which is um but like all the tear gas and the rubber bullets there was a reporter that got blinded she lost her eye got shot with a rubber bullet and uh yeah it's uh there's just a lot going on in the in the nation's capital and in 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 chicago but it just seems like uh you know this like brute force message that is being projected by the president isn't the way to go it's uh I don't yeah, know. Being, being being strong is fine. I think that's fine, but like at some point, people need to be. I don't think people feel like they're being hurt at the moment because they just find police uh, presence to be really aggressive, and then that's just making it worse. And of course, the social media clips are making it worse and, and exposing yeah. some of it, but also making it worse
1: because yeah. and the media stuff is getting is stoking the flames as opposed to like. I guess just reporting on what's happening, it feels like it's stoking the flames of, of divide. Just in my opinion, of watching all you know, watching news, watching reports of how things are being perceived, uh, are being said. You know, messages coming from the White House, messages coming locally in Chicago, um, from the governor and from the mayor. It just feels like it's stoking more of a divide than it is trying to come together for any solution.
0: yeah it's uh it's it's just rough so i don't know hopefully it starts to quell a little bit and today's a little bit better but we'll see i mean people need to be heard and they should continue doing that and um but it's just uh we don't want to see like cities start like literally burning down because if it keeps creeping up that's where it's going and it's going to just get ugly because they're bringing like federal riot police to, to dc today apparently
1: yeah the so national I, guard I, I, has been I, I
0: well the national guard's been there for two days now but they're bringing in federal riot police i don't know what that is exactly but maybe just like there's like a little cadre of like trained people in different cities that now get brought in kind of like a riot national guard i'm not really sure and they said there are troops coming from fort
1: Bragg in north carolina i saw so, yeah. i saw troops have been deployed i mean i drove coming home from uh yesterday I drove past the Illinois national guard, uh, which is located in Chicago, at least one of their bases and just tanks, you know, they're like mini tanks outside their trucks outside, everything, everything pretty much ready to go. And, um, it's been, I mean, it's been chaotic in the city to say the least.
0: Yeah. So let's move on. It's, it's kind of hard to move on from this. It's just such a, it's just such a crazy time that we live in, but obviously, um, And it's just a really, it's just really rough. It's terrible to see like what is still happening with police officers and, and the, and the other really outrageous one, which was the Breonna Taylor one. Did you hear that story where she was just, she was an EMT sitting in her home, apartment door gets busted open. She just shot to death in her home.
1: I did not. Is that recent?
0: They thought she was someone else. It was like a month ago. It's ridiculous. It's just like ridiculous. And that's still the, all three of those cops are still employed like there's just such like there's still just it's just ridiculous um so let's let's transition so major league baseball had a uh, a proposal get kind of tossed around so sunday uh the players are still holding out for their full prorated portion of their salaries uh and then they proposed a 114 game schedule that would cover 70% of their salaries um and, uh, yeah, they think that's just going to get rejected, but that's sort of what they're going with, and they don't want to take any further pay cuts. What else do you have to add to that?
1: Well, I don't think – I think the player's proposal, just from looking at it, feels uh, like – obviously, you start your proposal with – that's, that's everything they want, right? 114 games are going to get the most amount of money. Um, I think at this point, the players are just looking at a way to maximize how much money they can get from this season while also getting their service time and, you know, being safe, whether it's safely ramping up for the season or safely, you know, being able to participate with the, with the virus stuff going on. Uh, I saw just pulled up on Twitter that the projected counter proposal from the owners is going to be 50 game regular season, which that just feels like a further divide between them. I mean you're talking 74 or what is that 64 game difference? Doesn't make yeah. any sense. Uh, I don't totally understand what how the players, you know, the salary advance and then the salary uh, pa- deferred payments with interest. Um, but one of the big things I see in this proposal is an opt out clause that would allow any player to sit out this season and it looks like they would be able to opt out with their salary. So if that's the case, if you're allowed to opt out and you're someone who's an established big leaguer, who's already got money in the bank and you've got kids and you're even 1% nervous about what's happening in the world currently, I think that opt out clause is going to be invoked by half the team. I think I think the guys that are the younger guys that still have yet to reach their free agency are going to want to, are going to want to play, but if you're if you're Bryce Harper with 33 million coming in last year and 300 million going in, coming in the next 10 years. I don't see how you play or why you play. Um, just, uh, just from me personally, I, I, I would play, but if you're a high profile guy like that, like I said, and you've got kids, I don't see how you play. And I can't blame you. Like, what can you say? You know, if you don't feel safe, you don't feel safe, but the, it doesn't feel like they're getting any closer it just feels like two out, outrageous proposals with no middle ground. And if there is no middle ground, I mean, baseball's already losing. They're, they've lost their window to make the announcement and in good faith and draw in all these sports fans. Like, they've already lost that window. Now it's to the point where they're they're trying to save face, in my opinion. And I don't know how they're going to save face with these two proposals that are put out there.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem like they're close at all, and ugh, it's wearing on. I mean, we have June left, July left, August left, and September. So, we have four months, which is a lot of months. That's, That's like twice hundred, as many months as two months. It's four hundred, times as many months as one month.
1: So, hundred, 120-ish days, right?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it's going to get rejected. Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about is the minor league pay how a number of teams have cut their minor leaguers salaries so those little four hundred dollar was it per week stipends yeah which
1: is good money that's more money than they make normally
0: and a lot of teams have cut that now my question is you know some of these teams like the nationals were going to cut it and then the nationals players um made a stink the major league players and now they're going to keep it Um, but why haven't the major leaguers taken care of minor leaguers in the past anyway? Like the minor leaguers have no rights. They never have. Well, like the minor, if the major leaguers care so much, why haven't they bargained or done something for them? So they can make conditions better in the past.
1: I mean, I think you, if you're a big leaguer, if you're a big leaguer and you're, and you're a player rep for your team, you're, you're an established guy. You're not a guy that's on the, on the cusp of, you know, going up and down. And at that point, I feel like you're looking out for your own. You know, you're looking out for the, the 40 guys that are on the major league, uh, 40-man roster, and then you're going to look out for the other 30 teams. So the 1,200 players that are under your union, quote-unquote union, you look out for your own. And then the minor league guys, it's almost like, you know, earn your stripes. When you get up here, then you're going to get all the benefit of being under our, our union, and you're going to get all these benefits that we're fighting for. So I think a little bit of it is they look out for their own and minor leaguers don't feel like their own when there's, you know, there's always when you're in a spring training locker room, there's always the minor league side. And then there's the major league side. The guys are in big league spring training camp. Um, And for as many good guys as there are in that locker room that you talk to, there's always a few guys that just will walk right by you. They won't say two words, um, you know, whether they're established or not, whether they're, high profile or not, some of those guys feel like, you know, minor leagues is a little bit beneath them and that's okay. It needs to be one umbrella. It really needs to be one umbrella because minor leaguers will never have an opportunity to unionize on their own. As far as negotiations, um, getting better pay, it's just not going to happen because there are way too many players for the amount of spots available, especially now with all these teams getting cut. So I don't think they could be able to, I don't think they're going to ever be able to unionize on their own and cause any kind of a dent in the system but if the major league players take them under their wing then they have no choice but to either make the situation better for the minor league guys or risk a strike between all levels of baseball which that i think it's more ununified between players as opposed to between the players in the front offices or the players in the organization's I think the the major league, the only way this happens is major league guys to say enough's enough. They're going to be in our union now and we're going to negotiate the minor leagues uh, benefits for all players that come into the system. And I don't know if they're ready to do that because they're having their own issues, just negotiating for themselves as big leaguers.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Well, what do you got? I don't know. Uh, Honestly, I, I kind of tire of the minor league pay stuff. I don't know why i just like i just like don't i don't know i should care more than i do i just like kind of don't like i got through it and that's not to say that it like the things i know are i got through it i didn't complain that much about it um it definitely wasn't fair conditions should definitely be better those are the the four tenets but i just like don't feel super strongly about it like if, if guys are, like getting 48 grand a season in the future i'm not gonna be like Hey, we did it guys. Like we did it. Like I, I don't particularly care. Um, I don't know. And so maybe that's how the major leaguers feel. Like they got through it and they're in the big leagues and they just don't care and that's fine. It's great that a couple of them do care enough to like give some money out to players like David Price, who's now a Dodger, who hasn't pitched a game for the Dodgers. Right. You know, he still took care of the Dodgers minor leaguers, gave me a thousand bucks for a month. Um, you know, like that's, that's, those are good stories. Um, but as a, as a whole major league baseball players don't care about minor leaguers. They just don't, which
1: is then they don't have to right? like they worked their way to got to get to where they are. They don't necessarily need to care that these guys coming behind them who are essentially coming for their jobs, right? Like they're coming to take the jobs that you have. So some of them may feel a little threatened. Mike Trout's the world aren't going to feel threatened, but the guys that are on the bottom of the totem pole, they're going to feel a little threatened. Uh, by guys coming up and guys having an opportunity to only, you know, do have it better than they had it and a little bit easier route for them to get to the big leagues. Um, I just don't see how with the, with the supply demand of of professional baseball that you're going to have a situation where the players have leverage. They're just not going to have any leverage. You know, you want five grand a month. Okay. Well, this kid will play for eight hundred dollars, so we're just going to take this kid. It doesn't matter how talented you are at this it, point.
0: It, well, it does. It does matter how talented, how talented you are. It matters a lot. But, it, there's, but still a a spectrum, sli- there's still a wide spectrum. There's still a wide spectrum of abilities in the minor leagues.
1: But for it's a, a small, but for a small percentage of guys, it matters because for the most part, if you got twenty-five man rosters, twenty of those guys are not viewed as prospects or even potential big leaguers. So okay, to have the to have the five guys you know, you really need the buy-in from those guys. And those guys that are, you know, those prospects are already being pampered to. They probably got better bonuses. So they're living fine. They're living in a decent situation. So the the way the system is set up, it's it's a divide. I don't, I don't know how you unify all those minor league guys because, you know, as a guy who did, I was 16th round draft pick. I didn't get a million dollars. I got $25,000 to sign as a junior coming out of college. You know, I'm not on the same level as Manny Machado, who got $5 million and he was the number three overall pick, even though that we were teammates for multiple years, like we're just not in this. we're not, we're in the same locker room, but we're not in the same position. Like he's, he was taken care of. He's, he's getting the, you know, all the extra work, all the extra benefits of pushing him to the big leagues. Whereas guys like myself were, were in the, in the majority of minor leaguers where you're on the team you know if you perform well you might have a chance to break through and you know sneak through that funnel of of players but for the most part you're there to fill spots and those spots can be filled with any number of guys with a wide range of skill sets and i think you see it you know you you see it a lot when you're in those locker rooms how different you know the guys that got money and signed for a lot of money are from the guys that had were senior signs in college that got a thousand bucks. Um, it's not that they work any any harder or the guys that got less money work less hard. It's just the system isn't set up for those guys that got a thousand bucks after their fifth year of college to ascend to the big leagues where the system's set up for the prospects to ascend and to you know and to cream rise to the top. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you're going to get both of those groups in the same union to fight for the same thing. I mean, if I'm Manny Machado and I'm rising to the big leagues at a rapid pace, I'm not going to potentially strike for my other 20 teammates as much as I might like them because it's not affecting me. Yeah. So I don't know how that, I don't know if it doesn't come from the top and the big league union. I don't know how the minor leagues can unionize uh, successfully.
0: Well, I agree. And that's, and that's kind of goes back to my point, which is like, you know, some of the minor leaguers are acting now like they care. Well, they had a lot of opportunities to care before now. Major it's leaguers, just, you mean, right? Yeah. Major, major leaguers? leaguers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, you know, they just haven't. And okay. But yeah, I agree. I mean, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a tiny amount of money that when you think like that of all things they could cut, that's what they're cutting. I know. Yeah. It's such a tiny amount of money, like a, like a laughable amount of money. Compared to the amount of money they piss away on, you know, guys that didn't pan out like, oh, let's give this guy he you know, this guy was a, uh, you know, rookie of the year candidate five years ago, hurt his arm bounced back couldn't, you know, couldn't hack it been out of baseball for two years, but he looks good now we'll give him a, we'll give him a million dollars. Yeah, you know, and so uh, I, I
1: you think you hear me, I can and, still and, hear you, you.
0: you know, they'll they'll take a chance on guys like that. And give them a million bucks knowing they have a huge upside, but a million dollars like funds their entire minor league salaries for a year. Probably more than that. You know, it's, yeah, no
1: doubt.
0: It's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird. So it's like all these things that you can, maybe this is what it takes for them to care about it, but they also had ample opportunities to care about these players for many, many years and just never did.
1: So I kind of think it's "Eh, going to come. yeah. I think it's going to come from an agent. I think an agent had, I think a a good agent who has talent, like a, a, a good crop of talented players, you know, coming into a draft has a, has an opportunity to negotiate a contract similar to like Bryce Harper's contract. So Bryce Harper's contract when he, when he, after he was drafted was a major league deal. So, the benefit of keeping him in the minor leagues for uh, service time, there was none for the Nationals. You with me, Dan?
0: Just trying to troubleshoot shoot these noises that are probably coming through.
1: I just got some noise there. So Bryce Hart so the minute Bryce Harper signed his contract, right, the Go minute on. he signed his contract, there was no service time issue because he signed a major league deal. Um, so for those listening that don't know what service time is, You know, if you're a normal minor leaguer, you make it to the big leagues. You have to have a certain amount of service time before you hit your free agent year. Okay. Bryce Harper did not have to do that. That's why, that's why guys like Chris Bryant and, uh, Moncada are kept in the minor leagues for the first three weeks of the major league season. And then brought up because the team gets an extra year of control on the Mm -hmm. back end of their contract. So, it It's confusing for those that don't follow baseball, but for people that follow baseball, you understand what I'm talking about. Now, what that is is control for the team. Now when you're in the minor leagues, the team controls you on your original contract for seven years. So if you're not released by that team, you have no negotiating power, okay? you have no you have no, out, you have no um, outlet to to go play somewhere else. You either have to ask for your release. Which, if you ask for your release, that's basically being blackballed in affiliated baseball. Okay, teams see that there's very few guys that ask for their release and then land on their feet and get to another affiliated team and it works out for them. It's just not, it's just not how teams work. Like it, it's not collusion, but teams know that. Okay, this kid's asking for his release. Why didn't he like the situation he was in? Like he had a good situation. He was a prospect, whatever. So I think an agent has an opportunity to come in and say, "Okay, you're going to you're going to sign this guy. Well, he only wants a one year. He wants a year to year minor league deal. And that might not work out for the guy who might have one bad year and he doesn't have the fallback of he's under contract. But if he has a really good year and the team screws with him, he can shop around and maybe he can go to a you know, if he's if he's in the Yankee system behind Jeter, he can go to the Marlins who've got nobody at shortstop and he can sign there and he can year to year it. Um, but the seven year deal that minor leaguers signed that I was under and everybody else that I knew was under, that does not lend you to any leverage or being able to, like, I was stuck with the Orioles for better or for worse, regardless of how I played or my feelings or, or how they treated me. I was stuck there. And
0: yeah. And that's the, that's the big complaint is that like, where else is that how it is in labor? You know, like you get a job with johnny pencil pusher incorporated and good company don't like the job you can go somewhere else you know like you don't you know you can go work as a graphic designer for some other firm you yeah. like the, you know, but in minor league baseball you're just held hostage and you don't have an option you can't not sign their contract you're under the club control for six or seven years whatever you said it was i think it I thought it was six but maybe, maybe it's six it. i mean yeah, either I'm way sure it's, it's six
1: it's longer it's it's your minor league elsewhere yeah
0: and it can affect your career. Like you said, if you're a minor leaguer and you're a shortstop and Derek Jeter's in his 10th season, like you're never going to the major leagues.
1: No. And, and I play, so I use that example, because I played um, in, the, in the minor leagues for a guy like that. You know, he was the AAA backup for Derek Jeter for years, for years. Like this guy's a big league quality shortstop by all accounts, who's behind arguably one of the best shortstops ever, just mm-hmm. numbers wise. So what do you do if you're that guy? Now, granted, he probably got to the point where he was signing free agent deals back to be with the Yankees, but he, yeah, missed, he, was,
0: he was getting paid well to, at that point in his career, I'm sure. Getting but he paid, could have
1: been as a guy who never got to the big leagues. Like, he doesn't have that one day in the big leagues where you get that, that patch that says, you know, big league baseball player. Yeah, you get the patch.
0: What, yeah, you, you, you get, get the one patch. patch,
1: left arm, one patch. Yeah. Stitching. Yeah.
0: It's too early for lemonade, but I'm drinking lemonade because I'm not gonna get up and make coffee. And I, like I said, I just ran, but Bobby, do you know what I broke the seal on yesterday? More? I have had some, Uh, still terrible. Times like these not this. No, not this morning, Um, watermelon. Watermelon is more problematic to purchase when you have to walk it home yourself. It's extremely, obviously, obviously they're heavy and just voluminous. They're just hard to, they take up their own reusable shopping bag. So I think you I can't have just more like really grab a, grab a watermelon up the grocery store. I have to very, I feel like plan it out.
1: Uh, I think you have more appreciation for the, for the elderly woman with the cart walking down the street when you actually have to carry your own groceries and watermelon home like this woman, had it figured out years ago. And there's always one in every neighborhood. She walks to the grocery store, <laughs> excuse me, she grabs her groceries, she has her little push cart, and you're thinking, what the hell is that thing? But you know what she's got in there? Watermelon. Mm-hmm. hmm mm, mm. It's a D de- it's a maybe it's a Chicago thing.
0: Yeah, well I got a really good one. So that's that's there. Um you just never know these days whether your watermelon's gonna be terrible or good or not. It's just it's you don't know how dude. to pick out a watermelon. Those tactics don't matter. They it's, don't. They don't. No. You
1: find that yeah, you find that weathered spot, and you make sure you, it's got to be a good weathered spot on the bottom of the watermelon, so you know it's been sitting there.
0: What does good mean?
1: Good, like a like a a very discolored, a large, white like yellowish spot on the bottom of your watermelon. It's the ass of the watermelon.
0: Um, so I, I actually looked up the science of like watermelon ripeness a long time ago. And there are only a handful of things. Like it should feel heavy proportionate to its weight. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't feel light. It should have a yellow spot underneath it where it's in the ground.
1: Yeah. The ass of the watermelon.
0: Sure. Uh, (laughs) but it should be yellow rather than like pale or white. That's a key. Um, and I think that was relatively it. There's probably a couple other things, but those are the two main things. I just look for, are they heavy? Are they not squishy? If they're squishy, then they're way too old. Um, and do they have a yellow spot? But the, even then, I mean, I've, I eat a lot of watermelons, like lots and lots. And you still do, you follow the same. If I And that's the thing. I follow the same criteria with all of them pretty much. And it's still a crapshoot. You'd think there'd be some continuity, but there really is some consistency, but there really isn't.
1: Are you a seedless watermelon guy?
0: Well, that's the problem. They're just, yeah, I am. Because who eat, who is the time for seeded watermelons? Do you have any idea how many seeds are in a watermelon? There's so many.
1: So it's just, it's
0: such It just destroys the eating experience. So I'd rather endure a couple of bad watermelons to just be able to just mow through it with a spoon rather than have to pick out. I mean, there's so many seeds in a watermelon. It's crazy. I know this is like modern day problems. You know, this back is, in the day, people ate watermelon is, this is a people huge. Have more time people didn't have to get back to work, but watermelon's amazing. So
1: this is, this is a huge first world problem. Your seeded Watermelon controversy. Well,
0: well, it's the same thing with all agriculturally grown food. Now is that the, like the genetically modified, I don't know if these are genetically modified, but just the, 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 the GMO fruit and food is definitely different. Again, I'm not saying that this is one of those things. And then the other thing is the way they're grown agriculturally on these huge farms with, like, poor quality soil now that gets used over and over and, like, less, uh, like, just, like, natural fertilizer in the soil. Yeah. They just don't grow the way they would. Like, if you grow a watermelon in your backyard, it's going to be way better than one that's grown on a watermelon farm with, like, 10,000 watermelons. You know, because so these just are facts. Like- these are facts. I mean, you are what you eat, whether you're a human or a watermelon or a strawberry or, you know, a, a antelope. Like you are what you eat, and and that's the thing. Like the biggest thing I've noticed is, as a kid, strawberries were good. Like I liked eating strawberries. I have not liked eating strawberries in like five years, because most of them are just like kind of bitter. Like most of them are not very good, and that's a, the same thing. It's going back to agriculture, how the way they're grown, they just they lack like sweetness, like the vast majority of strawberries are pretty not great.
1: Mm, yeah. Homemade homegrown strawberries are, are awesome. Well, and even just
0: commercially grown ones years ago were way better. Just way. And now I just can't like, eh, I'm like picking through them and they're just kind of, most of them are a little bit bitter and they're just nothing compared to like farmer's market ones or the ones that I, ate when I was a kid, which is a clear, clear change. Same thing with like fruits, like peaches, it's hard to find oh, good yeah. peaches in a grocery Can't store. Find they're to get all peach. hard, and then they're hard, and then they ripen really quick, and then they're some of them just like never seem to ripen, which is a really strange phenomenon. Um, the best place to get peaches again is like from someone's tree or just like a little local orchard. And then they're incredible. Peaches are like one of the best fruits when they're good, but they're often so bad and hard and like they ripen strange. It's the same thing. They're getting they're being grown all year
1: everywhere. It reminds me that. Uh that Seinfeld where there's the peaches that are only good for two weeks out of the year that Kramer loves. They're from like, I don't know, Washington, the Mackinac peaches. Hmm. But I agree with you. Farmer's markets, you, you want to, you're looking for a new place to live. You choose one, choose a home next to a good farmer's market because farmer's market makes you feel like you go there, you're supporting the community. There's people there that actually care about what they're growing and you get really, really good produce. You get really, really good meat. It's like if uh, we go to a lot of farmer's markets just on the weekends just for to shop in the summer and it's you get so much more for like quality. Just Everything there is quality over quantity. And I don't know. I'm just going to I did not know we were going to get on the farmer's markets. I would have brought some more notes, but
0: well farmers. farmers markets also sometimes sell like fruit with stickers on it though that's what i don't understand sometimes a lot of times when you go to these slightly bigger farmers markets you've got like a basket of peaches with like stickers on i'm like where what did you just get these at the grocery store I don't <laughs> we understand. To the lo- and they're, then they're doubling the price i'm paying uh, for the I,
1: convenience
0: I, I mean i saw that a lot at where i used to live in illinois and i don't know why that was a thing but it was like cleared a lot of different stands they didn't grow some of this fruit and i was like i don't understand what's happening like where's all the ugly fruit that's like really lopsided and misshapen and like weird colored and like you go to a you go to a farmer's <laughs> market to buy ugly like yeah you go there to buy the ugliest vegetables you can find because those are like supposed to be good right i thought that's like the move
1: they're like the out they're the outcast vegetables they don't Come get for the,
0: the ugly vegetables. vegetables stay for stay uh, for the, the for the kombucha the really expensive meat yeah
1: <laughs> the meat's actually not that expensive at some of these farmer's markets. It depends who you go to. And debatable.
0: I mean, I have no issue with farmer's markets whatsoever, but I just remember being confused in the past seeing some of these that just like, like I said, had clearly commercially grown fruit. It's like, I don't understand. But uh, yeah, there's a good good farmer's market like a mile from me here in DC that hopefully it's, I mean, it'll be back up on Sunday. But. but, yeah, Bobby, do you see what's over my other shoulder?
1: Is that a fern?
0: <laughs> no, it's just another plant. I've had that one. It's been lurking elsewhere in my my place. But I finally have my custom
1: pot being delivered this week. So it your, might arrive by Friday. Your green thumb is just is just unbelievable right now.
0: Well, I'm not sure that one will stay there because it kind of covers up the lowest shelf. But... So there might be some reorganization maybe that big guy will go over there i need like a little table for it but
1: you've um, got a nice like you got a nice little background you got plants i'm in i'm yeah i worked know, hard a, i worked hard for my background I'm in a these bunker. things don't come
0: cheaply and easily like got we're, my little we're, acoustic we're tiles Got my acoustic tiles i got my little corner shelf
1: like um, we're we're moving we're going to be moving pretty soon and i'm in a bunker right now like this is a nice, this, this color on the wall here is uh, called passive. It's a nice color, but I could use some decoration. I mean. Yeah, you got nothing. Like a lamp or something. I don't know. Well,
0: you're something. really close to your wall.
1: That's the problem. Well, I mean, if you, if you could be feet. here, if you could be here, I'm butted, I'm butted between the wall and the bed in the spare bedroom. So this is quote unquote my office currently, since we're all working from home. So I could sit on the bed, but there's a lot like there's a lot of crap on it. So I turned the computer and now I'm here. I'm in my office. I'm in the lair.
0: Okay. Well, you just need some, you need some room behind I you, some, and then you. I can... need
1: some decoration. Um, you I do have your something. headband.
0: That's key. You got your headband on.
1: Dan, we're riots are going on. You have to, you know, look the part, dress for the job you want.
0: look like a pirate skateboards
1: a lot? There's. I did want to ask you something because it came out. I saw it yesterday. That so three Division One programs, two of them cut their program for baseball. Furman, Bowling Green, State University, and Chicago State that we've talked about previously is on the fence. They'll be making their decision here in three okay. weeks or so. Um, so it came out yesterday that Bowling Green State uh, now has left the door open for their uh, for their program to come back. Um what does that mean? I have well that's I have mixed feelings. They what working do you mean toward, leave the
0: door open? What does that mean?
1: So the so the group like the Save Bowling Green State baseball group is they're working with the athletic department um to get like a 5-year commitment to fi- a 3 to 5-year commitment back to baseball to bring baseball back and to work on helping fund a budget for the baseball program. Um, and all the organizers, like the people that are outside the school have come up with this plan that are, they're trying to, they're trying to save it essentially. And they're going to pitch it to the school and try and work with the school to save division one baseball at, at this school. And what I have very specific feelings on this, but how do you feel about, uh, you know, what, how, it how I guess the communication has gone so far. They cut the program. Now they're working to save it. What do you got on that?
0: uh i don't care if programs get cut personally i don't you're
1: heartless and heartless
0: i mean look we i mean i get that it's an emotional thing it could be your kid's team it could be you know i could be the head coach of a team like what i understand that it's people's jobs and their teams like i understand it's an emotional thing uh but from the outside looking in like a lot of these teams lose i mean the vast majority of these teams lose money right so look These are—I mean—schools are ultimately businesses to an extent, and you just can't have 300 division one schools all losing money, and then not expect that this happens at some point. I mean, that's—it's just—is what it is. Like having an, a branch of your business that just like loses money every every year, you go, well, let's just close that one. It's not profitable. Like that, like it makes sense. So I understand that it's a tough thing. Um, but it just seems like in some places it's just it's just like necessary and there's a lot of sports that probably just don't belong at the division one level like we have lots of sports that don't make money for these schools now at the same time athletics certainly have a uh, a value to students like we both know that obviously i know that it shaped my life but there's also a lot of different schools like just like lots of schools don't have a baseball program a lot of schools don't have a football program a lot of schools don't have lots of different sports you know? And, and that's just like the way it is. You can always go find a different one. So I get that it's emotional for the people involved. I understand that. And it's a shame for them, but like, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to be like the rally cry for every school that has a baseball team should always have that team in perpetuity. That's just like not realistic. But my thing, is but my thing also is that These colleges, which this is something that if you listen to some of these other business podcasts, like uh, Scott Galloway, this guy on the pivot podcast and he has his own podcast called Prof G. He's like very prominent in the business world right now speaking out against, uh, well, we work formerly and he was really integral about them, sort of like their IPO getting pulled. And now he's speaking out against colleges and he's a professor at NYU. And he's like, look, these colleges tenure, all these professors, who don't do that much anymore who and they make 200k a year we have way too many administrators like there's a lot of bloat for a lot of these colleges there's just like w- like people on staff that just don't need to be on staff definitely so, you know tenured professors who aren't working very hard who don't deserve that money anymore and he's like look these these universities are going to bleed kids they're going to they're going to lose a lot of money and so on the other side you could say okay yeah we could cut two tenured professors who maybe don't, who maybe aren't pushing the envelope academically anymore, who maybe aren't worth or paying them, and we can bring baseball back. That seems like a world a worthwhile trade off if you're looking for money to save a program. So, those are my two sides of it. Um, but I like, I mean, when a program loses all this money every year, like, you can like cry about it. Like, I get it. I understand. I really do. But At the end of the day, like that, it is what it is. Like you wouldn't expect someone to, if I owned a business and I'm losing 75 grand every year, no, Dan, you got to keep it up because like, I need, I need to come through your business doors. Like, well, I, I lose 75 grand every year, so I'm going to close.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just feels my, my, I agree with you. My feeling is that it's just, it's disingenuous on these universities in part. um, What does that mean? I think it's, you know, if you're going to cut the program, then you cut the program. And I understand that these people, like, there's, they've raised, what's this number here, $1.46 million to save the program uh, so far, which is incredible. Like, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. You would hope that, you know, they would have pro- tried to continually raise money previous to this, um, not just because the program folded, but anybody that takes that job or the coach that's still there, if he ends up keeping that job, I mean, there's, there's no there's no way to be successful in that position anymore. Like the the minute they cut the program was the minute that that program ceased to ever be successful. How can you commit kids? How can you get kids to come to that program, recruiting wise, and look, sit in their living room and tell them like, hey, this program's gonna be around for the duration of your college, of your college career. Yeah, it's, impo- it's impossible to do that. And if you're you know if you're a parent, you're gonna have you know, the large reservations on sending your, sending your kid to a school that has once cut baseball and potentially will cut baseball again. It's just a, I think you're handcuffing. I, I like that uh, these supporters are gone out there, boots on the ground, raised all this money, uh, $1.46 million from 172 people. That's a good amount of money from a, a lot of people. Um, or from excuse me, from not that many people. Like hundred and seventy two people donating money and you made and you raised one point four six million dollars. That's a lot of money. Um but I don't see how the program like picks itself back up and continues even with this money after that because the school's already handcuffed anybody that could take that job. Yeah.
0: You're right. They they yeah, and this is the same thing with Chicago State, right? Like they
1: yeah. And, and so waiting
0: three more weeks and players have already which, left. Like I've already saw one
1: player that I know. Yeah. The starting a different, ca- different school, the starting catcher who I, I work with him, he comes and works out, helps the kids with my youth program. He's transferring to Bellarmine university and, and it's a great situation for him. I'm happy for him, but you're talking about a starting catcher at a division one program. Like you're just, there's no way to recover in, not just this upcoming season, you know, 2021, in the next two to three years, because recruiting is building and there's no way to build any foundation at that school. Um, Now, selfishly, because I have friends there and we both know, you know, Dave Harden, currently the only coach on staff, I would like to see him get that year or two of head coaching experience, even if it is a struggle to fill the roster with quality players, because I think it would be really good for him really good for his resume um to go forward and i think he would do a good job but you're handcuffing and you're you're cutting him off at the knees if you think that he's going to have any kind of success if success is what it's going to take to save that program by what what they're doing currently
0: yeah i mean obviously like i said obviously both of us want to see people get what they signed up for and their teams continue on and like dave to get his chances as, as a head coach like we both agree that'd be great in his best interest but yeah i just like like i said in my mind all these teams and they're just like little mini businesses you know True. And, yeah. and businesses go out of business every year that happens every day there's a lot more now unfortunately because of covid but every year people give it a shot and sometimes it doesn't work like my own uh, you know baseball academy business we sold it last august but we were never like wildly profitable they're hard businesses to make money in right like no one in the in the baseball academy industry at least very very few are like making a really like man i've taken home tons and tons of cash from my baseball academy business it's just right. like not how the industry is and like we get that so some of those don't make it that's just how it goes so i i don't know that's sort of my my feeling about it. Like I said, people that want to continue to play, they'll find a place to land on their feet or they won't. You know? And that's why I don't understand, like, okay, bowling green, they're raising a ton of money. Like, why? It's just one baseball program. Like I get it, but like why? So you have your 250 fans come to bowling green games? Like who goes to watch bowling green games?
1: Yeah, it feels like a little, you know, too little too late. It's kind of like that, you know, the restaurant in your neighborhood, like, oh, that place was really good. It's going out of business. Like, oh, well, if you would have went there more often. (laughs) Exactly. It would have been. And that's like my thing. It's it's not
0: it's like people, I think, at times don't understand what Division one baseball looks like. It looks like a nice field with nice athletes on it playing in front of 100 people that's what division one baseball looks like for the vast majority of teams. It does not look like LSU. It does not look like Auburn. It does not look like USC where it looks like more like a minor league game where they have 2000 fans there. It's not what it's not what division one baseball is. Even like good schools, like university of Maryland, which is, you know, local to here, you go to a university of Maryland game. There's like 300 people there maybe. And that's good baseball, right? So like you said, if you really like, if you really love that restaurant, you should have gone there all the time. Like again, <laughs> that's why I don't understand. Like, okay, Bowling Green's raising a million half dollars for what? So those two hundred people can go back to the games, and the, and and twenty five mm-hmm. players have a place to play, which they could find a place to play otherwise.
1: Sure, somebody will you take. Know? Somebody will find. So, maybe not Division One, but those kids will have places to play. Definitely.
0: And maybe it's the same thing as before. Maybe if there's not three hundred Division One baseball programs, maybe there's only one hundred fifty. Maybe a lot more people go to those games, but also maybe not I don't know the the economics and, and the, just the way college baseball looks is fundamentally different than like Meyer League and pro baseball
1: yeah and it doesn't have the you know it doesn't have this the college World series itself is popular but you don't yeah. have you don't have the you know the college football like football's popular one because you have allegiance to your team and two because it's only it's only Saturdays. So you set aside one day a week and you get to watch your football, you know, your team play. And bas- NCAA basketball is popular because, you know, you know the players on the team, you know the coaches. They have the NCAA tournament, which is a whole month long of festivities. And for as as wildly popular as the College World Series may be when, it, when it's on, the lead up to the College World Series isn't even televised. The regionals, yeah. the super regionals. Mm-hmm. So you really, you only tune in because it's an event on ESPN, you don't tune in because you're, cause it's like, oh man, Kent state's making a run. Like let's watch Kent state baseball. Yeah. No, you don't, you don't watch that. Nobody, nobody follows it.
0: Yeah. Well, and a, and a good point by uh, the dude on, uh, on YouTube. He's been, uh, he's had a lot of, of, of good stuff in the chat today, but he said even 2000 fans, is not enough, which is also true. The thing with college baseball or minor league baseball is it's It doesn't scale. Super well. Like, suddenly, if you have 2,000 fans at games, you need more bathrooms. You need a bigger facility, right? You need, like, I'm thinking, yeah. like, you know, any of our alma mater. If suddenly 2,000 people want to go to Northern Illinois games, they've got to remodel the facility. It's got to, they've got to have what, 20 times more staff to handle, you know, like all these new things. Like, there's, got, it just becomes like a public facility. Just like the rules completely change. And now it's, yeah. you know, a $2 million field. Now you have $100,000 a month payroll. Now you need a gener- Like you need all these other people and it becomes there's not a big, there's not a way to be, and I well, I shouldn't say it, there's not a way because I don't know the, in, the exact ins and outs, but it doesn't scale well. You have to, and then you got to have ticket sales to keep that up. So your team has a bad couple years and now you're back to only getting a couple hundred fans a game.
1: Now the baseball team's super bankrupt. Yeah, the frequency of baseball makes it very difficult to scale uh, when you're you know, professional baseball, you play every single day. So you're, you're banking on either the same 2000 people to dedicate their lives to showing up every day to watch you, or you're trying to get within one week, 14,000 random people to show up to your facility. And, you know, I think we're, I think we're a lot of baseball is missing the boat um, is colleges have their own field. Professional teams have their own field. There's all a standalone uh, there's standalone complexes. Whereas, Just the soccer model that I'm familiar with, with, you know, I, the owner of the Chicago dogs is very high in the soccer Chicago dogs played a baseball or excuse me, an independent baseball team in Chicago, their owner. I talked to him a decent amount. He is big in the soccer world. And what these major, what these MLS teams do is they have their stadium and then they surround their stadium with youth fields and club teams. And it's like a big soccer community. So if you've got the LA galaxy, or the Chicago Fire MLS team, you've got a community of soccer there. Whereas the, you've got the Northern Illinois baseball team, UIC baseball team, and then you've got Little League teams, and then you've got the professional teams. And it's not a cohesive unit, and I don't know if it could be, and I don't know what the model looks like. But in theory, it sounds great to have, let's just call it the Chicago Dogs independent team, surrounded by a couple of youth fields with a club team and it goes all the way down to where you've got like a built-in network of not only fans but maybe a pipeline of players i know it doesn't work fluid like that with baseball but you know why aren't college teams and some of these minor league teams some of them do but why aren't they all teamed up with you know one facility to cover costs and to i don't know it feels like there's a better way to do it than they currently have it set up well,
0: I mean, yeah, but then it's like, okay, well, in, in the Chicago area, there's what, how many colleges that have baseball teams? Like 30, 40,
1: right. I, I don't know. No, I do
0: You can't have five mini baseball fields outside of every college baseball field there. Not to no, mention it but, costs half a million dollars to build a baseball field. If not yeah, more, I don't just know a know baseball the right, field. Just like just a high school crappy normal baseball field.
1: Yeah. Like I don't know what the right model. I'm not sure what the right model is. I'm just saying like the the soccer model Makes sense to me because they're combining everything from the top down, and I don't. Baseball is so spread out; like everybody's independent, everybody's individualized. It just doesn't feel like like there's well, any. Well, the amount to, of soccer
0: teams is also very like pro soccer teams. Also, in America, is very small. So if you sure, have, have LA like, Galaxy, okay, fine. There's a big you know thing there. It's like a major league team equivalent, which they could do that stuff. But then we're talking about a thousand college baseball programs around the country. I know, three hundred one. You know, blah, blah, blah. that's what
1: I'm saying. Like it, th- I don't know if it, I don't know how it makes sense, but it feels like the the way that they're currently going about it. Like, oh, Northern Illinois builds their own baseball field. They're the only team that plays there twenty games a year, and then that's it. That doesn't feel like a good business plan.
0: No, it's just not right. It's not. So well, it's, it's the school is paying for it. It's just like, you know, like you have a TV in your home. Your TV doesn't make you any money, right? It just does a mm-hmm. service for you.
1: Right. So So, I don't know what the I don't know what the right model is, but I feel like somebody more creative than I could come up with a situation where that baseball field could make money and that like you can utilize those resources with more than just your college team playing four weekend series there and using it for fall ball.
0: Well, I mean, the problem is all those fields, unless they're turf, they have a carrying capacity, not to mention a three hour game. Can only charge so much for a local team to use it before they can't afford it anymore. So there's, yeah. like, there's only so much use you can get out of your field, and then baseball, you have to like practice and stuff to be like good at it, which no, is no, annoying. No. And then you're on the field all the time, not making any revenue from it. I mean, essentially all those are just extracurricular things that the school agrees to pay for. Um, but at some point, they they don't have to anymore. Yeah, like, eh. you know, like why do you like why do you need a fencing team? No good reason. Like No one know. in the whole world cares about fencing, but some schools have fencing teams. It's like, why? So kids can stick each other with little fake swords? Okay, fake? it's, good, it's good for friends? them. It's good for them. I mean, they have like a little blunt tip on the end. Now if the were... same can be said for baseball. I was like, colleges don't care about being a pipeline to, to pro baseball. That's not why they exist. They exist because college <sighs> athletics are like, Yale versus Harvard, rah, rah, rah. But then... Again, it still just comes back to the reality that college baseball and softball is more like travel baseball and softball. It really just is. It's just older travel baseball and softball. Yeah, that's all it is. I mean, and parents, this is actually a topic for another another day, but essentially that's what it is. College baseball is travel baseball that you don't have to pay. Well, you do have to pay for it because you just have to go to school there. Maybe you pay yeah. less because you get a scholarship, but you don't really get a full scholarship. So you're essentially are paying for it. And you have the same amount of fans as a travel baseball game in most, in most situations. Yeah. I mean, that's Not essentially either. what it is.
1: Yeah. I don't know. There's no good. I mean, you want, you want to watch college sport, take the blunt tip off those fencing swords and let's watch that for a few. Every college in the country would have fencing.
0: Yeah. Except those kids are pretty nerdy. They don't really want to kill each other.
1: Yeah. But if you got a couple kids getting stabbed in the chest by knives, I'm watching that.
0: I don't, you're not Moving watching it
1: it's like it's like watching the mma but with knife knife fights fine dan i'll watch it, you just it need to take the watch.
0: headband off you just need to take the headband off this is this your recurring look now is that what's happened is
1: this just like a thing i'm i'm not gonna stop wearing this i'm gonna get i have different colors i'm gonna wear a different color every your
0: hair doesn't even go in your face and you didn't even exercise if anyone could wear a headband this morning, goes me. I was actually exercising. You see it's my face bla- isn't beat red anymore. I'm wearing anymore.
1: black. Today's the Blackout Tuesday. I saw on on Instagram. Blackout Tuesday. I'm supporting the cause. What is that cause? Black. I don't know. Support support black equality. Okay. Plus, well, I like the headband.
0: Okay. All right. This is um, it. Serves
1: two purposes.
0: All right. Well, there you go. Well, um, I think it's all we got for today, Bob. But. What a crazy world we live in. College baseball programs are going away. Coronavirus. Rioting. Police it's, brutality. Just like it there's just a lot of bad stuff happening. It's only it feels like it's gonna get worse
1: before it gets gets better as well.
0: But on the bright side, there's watermelon. It's summer. The sun's out.
1: Those it are all summer. those are
0: all positives. So have a little watermelon for me. Cause it's kind of watermelon season. Maybe that perks you up, go outside today. It's like kind of overcast here, but um, I also, while well, I was jogging, this was my last thought as I thought it'd be really good for just like poor rain for a day in a lot of these cities. Probably that'd probably just be helpful.
1: It, it did. It actually did rain a little bit yesterday in Chicago, not enough to deter anybody, but it was raining um, in the afternoon. A good downpour
0: at night would probably help some of the, the, the looting go away. That would be good, but hopefully hopefully it's nice during the day so people can protest and then it pours at night so the the violence doesn't come out that would be ideal but all right sir well thank you for being here uh again if you are new to the show we appreciate you watching especially here to the end you can catch us here live on tuesday and friday on twitter youtube um and then we are obviously on replay on itunes and spotify so catch us there and youtube as well and we really appreciate if you subscribe to the show, share it with a friend, and um, don't wear headbands. Don't wear headbands. They're not in style. This is not a fashion We're statement. So oh. um, well, that's it. All right, guys and gals, we'll see you here on Friday on the Morning Brushback.